welcome to a special episode of the podcast surprise i'm super excited to be here appreciate you coming out here with us tonight but without further ado i would like to introduce my podcast co-hosts aziz and mikhail mikhail let's go with you first how's it going Hey, it's going good. It's nice to be back. It makes me think about how if the season one hadn't been as successful as it was, as we know, it was very successful. If it hadn't been really successful, it might not have made it through the pandemic. A lot of shows were casualties Mm -hmm. of production cuts and all sorts of other things. So let's all be thankful that ours made it through not only well, but pretty darn strong. The future looked bright. Today, we got a special episode. And like I said, we are going to be doing some awesome Witcher content, of course, with the season two of The Witcher dropping soon. And uh, really exciting that we get to talk about another product of the, I like to call it the Witcherverse now, because <laughs> see, that seems like they're going to be doing on Netflix. They're going to be making another animated series. We'll talk about that towards the end of the stream and just kind of some upcoming things for The Witcher. But this stream, I talk about the Nightmare of the Wolf and the story of Vesemir. School of the Wolf, Declan, and kind of what really went on at Caremore, and that's a pretty big deal for setting up season two. So yeah, yeah. kind of. Are we going to do first impressions? We're going to do synopsises. How are we jumping in here? Let's start with just a few basics about the production, and then we'll do mm. the synopsis and then our reactions. I just wanted to give a few production details. I read, kind of took a few notes. This is pretty much all from IMDb and a few other places. Uh, screenplay was by Bo DeMeo, who wrote the third episode of season one. Also, Betrayer Moon, the one with the Striga, if you like going by Friends titles. The one with the that's a good way to do it. He also co-produced two of the other episodes. And he's from, he's associated with the show, The Originals. And he's been making League of Legends short films. So that's cool. I don't know much about League of Legends, but it sure is for huge. Blood Origin Witcher, uh, by the way, as well. Oh, is he also? Effort. I don't know mm-hmm. how I missed that, but good call. Uh, so this he sounds like in. a nerd, guys. <laughs> yeah, so it's a good thing we have each other's backs here. So, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's officially part of the show canon. Like Kyle said, they're it was successful enough uh, that they're commissioned a second one. I don't think we know a lot about it, but it has been commissioned. I think it's neat that it's Studio Mir and the character is Vesemir. But hey, that's just a coincidence. This mostly comes from book canon, but like very vague details. We knew there was some sort of pogrom at Kaer Morhen. There's not much else about it. There's some in-world texts written about the evil of witchers. Some of them don't even have authors. So really, they took a lot that was there and just filled in, gave a lot of details. Some of it maybe lightly <laughs> conflicts with existing canon, but very little. I think it's just details they fooled with a little bit as far as like timelines very small changes there it's it mostly fits in with the book world as well but it is show canon not book canon so this world is particularly confusing because we have game canon we have book canon we have show Mm. canon we have there's actually multiple game canon some game canon stuff is going to show up in season two we'll talk about that yeah show drops but so and lots of head cannons yeah, <laughs> exactly. So standard warnings apply as far as canon. It's a, one of the, this this it's one of the harder things to keep track of, but we try not to make too big a deal out of it. Just keep it light and fun. Uh, so yeah, this is a story about mentoring and b- about Geralt's mentor and Geralt's about to be series mentor. So mentoring is just dead center theme uh fits really well it's awesome i love it this all is about 100 years before i think before season two slash uh, blood of elves i guess that's about is that right guy do you have that same timeline ish. roughly ish yeah i guess it's ish it's not precise which allows an old them guy, to... let's just say that <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you said kyle it's gonna be a significant part going forward it's really nice how well it fits in with what's already there it's not just like some other story completely unrelated to everything it's very much in line 
favorite character, Mikhail. Obviously, Kim Bodnia is a, a great actor. We're super excited to hear about him. But Vazimir, fan favorite character in the games, also the books, going to be a huge part of kind of how they shape the story of not only what witchers are, but this kind of frames a little bit of the dark history of the witchers. That Yeah, Geralt is out doing kind of his own stoic thing, but there is a very dark history behind some of the other people that kind of founded the school. of The film begins with a beautiful and haunting song of unusual meter that quickly transitions into a slaughter followed by an epic battle between Aleshan and Vesemir, who is a witcher and kind of a jerk with a giant ego rooted in being extremely good at witchering. The Leshen is also rooted, as tree creatures tend to be. End of sentence. But at the end of the fight, it speaks. Even the cocky Vesemir is put off by this because it's not supposed to do that. Though there are quite a few supporting characters, the story is focused on Vesemir and four others, in particular Ileana, also called Lady Zerpst, human sorceress Tetra Gilcrest, an elven sorceress responsible for that lesson just now named Kitsu, and Deglin, the head of the Witcher School, the Wolf, which is also the primary location of the story and film. We're given a flashback to young Vesemir and young Ileana meeting Deglin. Having caught them stealing a plant used to ward away evil, he blackmails them into giving him this job to ward away evil instead, which turns out to be a creature called a Mar. Deglin wants it alive, though he's forced to kill it after letting Vesemir try to capture it unsuccessfully. Despite the error, Deglin tosses him a few coins for snacks and foreshadowing stuff like that. So soon enough, Vesemir is training to become a witcher alongside many other boys his age, Trainees uh, are subjected to a horrific survival test in a place called the Red Swamp. Those who make out it alive are subjected to the mysterious trial of the grasses, and even more children die. He had no idea it would be this awful, but he survives and emerges via montage as an adult and very successful witcher, killing monsters of all kinds, but favoring the more dangerous types because they pay better. He even strikes up a friendship with Phil Evangel, whom we've met before, but the friendship isn't enough for him to help the elf when he asks for help locating missing elven children. There's no money in that, hence me calling him a bit of a jerk. There's a dark truth behind all this. The head sorcerer at the School of the Wolf is Redrick, and he reveals that a lot of monsters in the world were created by mages, and some of the same magic called mutagenic alchemy that made those monsters was used to create the process that produces witchers and a lot of dead children. It's only one step away from crossbreeding monsters directly with humans, and indeed that step has basically been taken already, or at least almost, because Kitsu, the elven sorceress, is herself a hybrid of an elf and a mar, the same type of creature we just saw in the flashback. Worse, Kitsu was made specifically by Redrick with Deglin's assistance, so we now know why he wanted that mar alive. So unbeknownst to Vesemir, the very school that made him is also creating some of the very monsters that he is being contracted to kill over the course of several decades. Worse, the sorceress Lady Tetra suspects exactly this and seeks to prove it. In this era, witchers are more acceptable in society than they are in Geralt's time, but they're not exactly popular. So Lady Tetra has a little convincing to do. She argues her case before the king, and her opponent in the debate is none other than Lady Zerbst. Iliad is a clever diplomat, and the result of this debate is that Tetra and Vesemir go off to work together, bantering all the way to Ardcare and quite a bit after. She accuses Vesemir and all witchers of creating monsters like Kitsu, that they're running a giant scam on humanity, making monsters terrible enough to demand large payments to kill. She's completely right about it, though Vesemir still doesn't know it himself. 
They track down Kitsu and discover that Phil Evangel is imprisoned in her laboratory, having been captured while searching for the missing children that Vesemir wouldn't help with. Ketsu learned how to use the very mutagenic alchemy that created her and has set up her own series of experiments on elven children to make more like herself. Her work, like that at Kaer Morhen, has also resulted in horrors like the talking Leshy. Though they defeat Kitsu, secretly Tetra's working with her, but only so far as to make use of her. Tetra's playing both sides. Of course, it's clear why Kitsu would want to take revenge on the school of the wolf. She doesn't need much convincing. She hates witchers already, for obvious reasons. And so does Tetra, because she reveals her own mother was slain by a corrupt witcher who accused her of a crime she didn't actually commit. It was just a greed move. Tetra's goal is to turn what she sees as various forms of evil against each other. And her plotting is largely successful. The King of Cadwin's convinced, and he turns on Kaer too. With his backing, Tetra also inflames the already angry common folk of the region who are upset about the recent deaths at the hands of Kitsu's creations. She tells them it's all the fault of the Witchers. And since they created Kitsu, she's not even really lying about that part. So it comes that Tetra leads a small army of knights and commoners and others to Kaer Morhen with destruction in mind. Under normal circumstances, they would never fight alongside creatures like Kitsu and her summoned monsters, but the Fuhrer against the Witchers is reached such a fever pitch that the enemy of their enemy is their friend, for the moment at least. Words don't do it justice, but it's incredibly epic and bloody, and almost everyone dies. Witchers, monsters, mages, townsfolk. One of my fellows wrote here, this is basically the whole Witcher saga in a nutshell. <laughs> Hard to disagree with that. <laughs> Illusion and misdirection have been a key part of the story all the way through, and in the story's conclusion, this looms larger than ever. Vesemir is tricked into killing Yeliana, and when he realizes this, he's overwhelmed. They spend her final moments together in dreamland in a place they spoke of together long ago as she passes. It's almost his final moment as well, because he returns from his reverie to find that Tetra is moments away from ending his life, but a mortally wounded Deglin saves him by killing her first. Kitsu lives on with fate unknown, while Vesemir is left with a ruined Kaer Morhen and only four Witcher trainees, including Geralt. Despite everything, Deglin's wish is a decent one. Now, your boy is now young fella. Make him Witchers. Make him something more. Really, we could have called that Nightmare of the Wolf School or At the Wolf mm. School or Nightmar because Nightmar then the Mar gives bad dreams. So, yeah, it's a pretty tight story, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting story. I, I personally thought it was we, we kind of talked about this privately a couple of times disease, just like how it's a great setup for season two. We thought it was just obviously its own great story on its own, talking about Vazimir's past. But some things we're, we're not going to get. We're not going to be able to expand as much in, in the show. There's going to be so many different characters that they're introducing. There's going to be so many different important plot points. And doing this, I think, is a really great idea. Maybe if they do this every once every couple of years, I would be. I would think it would be awesome if they kind of had one before each season or one before each other season. Kind of doing this with important characters like Vazimir that are going to make a big impact on our major characters like Ciri and Geralt. I, I think uh, it's a great choice that The Witcher chose to do this. And honestly, I kind of agree with Mikhail. Mikhail is going to go into this. I could have done without, you know, all the blood and guts of the kids and stuff at the start. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but I thought the animation was amazing. And I, and, I, and I thought it was really well done. What, what an interesting way to tell Vesemir's story in an animated short, uh, short film. Yeah, I really didn't know what to expect when I went into this. 
because I'm not a huge like animation watcher. Like I feel like Avatar The Last Airbender is kind of like my main experience with long-term animation watching. But yeah, I found it really engaging. I, I thought the style was beautiful and in many ways very gross. It was cool. I think it was like a nice kind of way back into the world without... I guess without, without having to spend a too long, because it's a very effectively paced story. It's like an hour and a half, if that. I love the main series, but darkly lit you know, <laughs> frame of the original of, of season one of The Witcher. So I thought it was a really nice kind of refresher back into the world. And the characters were interesting. And it it really does set you up really well for Vesemir. They did, like some people were talking about saving it closer to the season, releasing stuff closer to the season, or releasing things before season two. This is kind of good that we have this because we had a full two years before we got a second season of The Witcher. As he says, some shows, I'm not really into the Cursed that was on Netflix or some of these other fantasy shows they try to drop, but... I'm still down for other fantasy shows to be out there and to be successful. You know what I mean? Like, I think we do need more of that. And this first season of The Witcher was hugely successful. It actually outpaced The Mandalorian as far as like Google trending and Google views and stuff like that when I was searching it. So that's pretty crazy. So for this to kind of set up people and be like, hey, this Vesemir character, you're coming back to the season two of The Witcher. You're going to love this guy. They let us really kind of understand the the swashbuckling gallivanting side of Vesemir, but also kind of the, the selfish side of Vesemir. And we're going to see a very different character in season two, someone who is wise beyond his years and who has learned his lesson. That's yeah. uh, one thing we got to kind of, I think, mention. <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty clear there at the end that he's already kind of a changed person, or at least he started on a path to be a different person. He realized that his, the way he was living isn't going to cut it anymore, not only because his home is ruined and everybody he knows is dead, but because he was living, kind of living a lie before in, in a sense. And I really appreciate that as far as a setup. Like the story does a lot to connect to themes that are present in the current timeline and shows you how they could have gotten there. Like the way Vesemir is very decadent and kind of an ass, you can see just from that, you can see why they became less popular. But then you have this much, much worse thing <laughs> that they're doing to get people killed and work against humanity that he wasn't part of. So he's a bit heroic in fighting against that. But this is shows where the the their reputation took such huge hits it was already taking hits as we see but and it makes sense like why would they be all good guys why would they all be like Geralt why would they all have this code of honor that they live by that's not very realistic for a lot of for a, a, like dozens and or hundreds of people to live that way there's always going to be bad seeds and the bad seeds will attract more attention in fact it sets up why Geralt has maybe that's why Geralt has this code because this is what happens when you don't have a code. Stuff like Deglin and the way Vesemir used to be. And maybe Vesemir even imparted some of that because he lived through it. So, yeah, it's pretty rich with that. And like you said, but it doesn't spend a lot of time setting these things up because they're already there. They're already part of the world. You're just kind of tapping into themes that we've already addressed in the past. So it just, yeah, it hits the ground running that way. I appreciate that. A lot of commonalities with Geralt. We see all of these parallels throughout the series that are connected through the word destiny, right? Like things happening, like Vesemir killing his true love, essentially. He could have lived a beautiful life with her, you know what I mean? But he chose greed and money, and obviously there's consequences to his decisions. A, a lot of what Sapkowski likes to kind of harp on is the decisions you make are very important. You can't just not make decisions. And we see that at the end of season one, Geralt's got a very big decision to make to take care of Siri. So I think that they're planting quite a few seeds with the Nightmare of the Wolf. And that's what I really liked. 
Yeah, there's a lot of karma, I think, in there. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of like real world karma. You, the way you treat children is the way the world becomes later, right? You have everyone here in this story has was treated badly as a child. It's even sort of implied that Deglin would have been treated. I mean, he was a witcher. Of course, he was treated badly. He's made into a witcher. Of course, I mean, there's no way around that. He was given the trial of grasses and all that. So, of course, he was treated badly. Tetra, evil in her past. Vesemir, we talked about him. You've got Ileana. She's the only one that didn't have some evil witcher in her youth that affected her, but she still had violence in her upbringing that affected her life. And Kitsu, of course, is the extent, double extension of that. The witchers become this, and they in turn make new creations that are these abominations of, of ethics. And then the abomination itself goes on and creates more abominations. I appreciate that a lot, too. Very on theme. And Phil Evangel, I think, plays into that also. Like, first, I, w- I was really surprised to see him here, but yeah. it was a really nice connection. And I-, I thought it was really interesting the way he kind of is in the same position that we see him 70, 80, 90 years later. Probably, like, slightly better off because things haven't degraded quite to the point that they have when Geralt meets him. But to have that pin in the timeline that we know that this person is in this place and dealing with these issues and that it's only going to get worse was a really kind of poignant illustration of that point, I think. One thing that's also interesting that we should mention is Tom Canton, who plays Phil Evangel in the show. He actually voiced Phil Evangel in The Nightmare of the Wolf, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, nice. opportunity to expand on his character and have a familiar voice. Uh, So if anybody didn't know, that's kind of cool. Yeah. I thought he was a mini MVP for me, honestly. Like, I really kind of dug Phil Evangel in this this story. I don't know why. I really love that scene with him and Vesemir. Very raw, honest scene. Phil Evangel was like, listen, (laughs) this is how things are. You know what I mean? He's trying to be honest. The most good person, I think, and all that. Yeah, like, he was the one person that's like, think of the children. But he wasn't just think of it. He was actively trying to do something about it. He wasn't just... Like that Simpsons woman yelling about it, you know. <laughs> and that's Think one interesting too that you the thing that you mentioned, Mikau, time changes people. Like there's been around for a long time. We saw Geralt talk about he's like, I'm old, man. I saw a lot of what's happened on the continent. This has affected me. When you talked about the Lavandrel's position, I mean, look, he almost killed Geralt and Yaskier, right? Yeah. We saw how far he came from that situation where he was very much at least he looked happier in nightmare of the wolf and we know that the numbers of the elves are not necessarily as large as they once were and that's in a xenophobia and and the racism kind of permeate uh, throughout the continent getting a little bit of a flashback into the past is great because you can see well phil evandrel he's got he was kind of like a, a, a nice guy but now he isn't well something affected him and through years of unfortunate events this has changed his view of the world yeah yeah i also think that He's one reason, and Vesemir is another, why this will be a really effective viewing experience. Like, even if people don't watch it now, because I, I don't know how many people are going to be like, oh, cool, what's your animated movie? Characters I don't know at this point, but I feel like after season two, people will be much more interested in, in watching this. And I think it'll be a really effective kind of tone setting for what they've already seen in season two, assuming. I mean, I don't know. That's Maybe a good there's point. nothing yeah. about this in season two, but it seems like there will be. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And people will be more curious about this character that they're introduced to. That's a great point. Especially uh, Vazimir, because we're going to see him interact with Siri a lot. And yeah. You can tell he genuinely cares for her. And, Stark yeah. contrast from <laughs> Vazimir when he was really young and gallivanting. These are the, we're going to see some really big decisions happen from these characters. And you're going to see, well, okay, that's why they're making these, like their views of the world. We're going to understand why they make the decisions that they made. 
yeah, I'm sure they'll there'll be Easter eggs in season three, four, whatever. It's back refer to this, and I'm sure uh, there'll be more yeah lines drawn. It's pretty cool. One thing I also really like is the way they tap into some real problems that exist in the world. Deglin is a great example of someone who has way too much institutional loyalty. He's loyal to witchers, not people, right? He's loyal to what he is and people like him. And if they're not, before they become a witcher, the kids, he's got, doesn't have much compassion for them, which eh, maybe that's a defense mechanism. You don't want to get attached to kids. You know, are going to die. It's rough, but I kind of get that. Not that I'm trying to humanize him, but this guy's maybe a long time ago when he was a young man, he wasn't so bad, right? <laughs> that's kind of what I'm getting at. I don't know how old Deglin is, but he's probably corrupted long ago. He may not have been corrupt from the beginning. Maybe he was. We do have that sort of thing exists in the world of The Witcher. We have the school of the cat, for example, has a bad reputation for the types of students it produced. Uh, it's barely in the books, but it is in there. And in the real world, whenever you have a culture that has a whole warrior class with no one to fight, they start picking fights <laughs> or doing other things. It's bad. And this Especially is just really when they have to kill that. monsters to earn money and towns aren't giving up, yeah. giving up the doula. It's the very much like the police working with the mafia or the FBI, CIA working with terrorists or something like that. It's very, it's the same exact concept, but in a fantasy setting. <laughs> yeah. And I felt very much that it was kind of, I'm glad you used the word institution because I think Deglin has institutional compassion the argument makes perfect sense to him about doing this horrible stuff to create more monsters because otherwise witchers won't survive but on an individual level he is and he passes it on to vesemir that callousness like when they're talking about oh which kids are gonna die which kids aren't gonna die it, and you come I, I believe that scene comes like right after vesemir has kind of become a witcher has been crying about the friends that he lost and it really shows how like corrosive that kind of institution can be when it exists, I guess, solely for its own perpetuation. Yeah, for money as well, because if we look at it, we talked about kind of a code of honor. You mentioned this as easy as a code of honor. This is something that's going to be a giant thread until the end, uh, until we get to the end of the story of The Witcher. Okay. Yeah. And it's specifically going to be a lot through the story of Geralt. Because he's constantly tussling with that. That's something that he's always kind of internalizing. Am I making the right decisions? Am I doing what's right? But also to another extent, Vesemir too, because he's going to be a great storyteller for the viewers. He, he's a great example of, hey, listen, when I was young, I made these kind of decisions. You probably shouldn't do that because I screwed up a lot. <laughs> but you do learn through failure, which is a good thing, right? Sometimes yeah. a lot of people die, and that's what we see uh, in this scenario from dead to <laughs> Yeah, that's a really, you have some really good takes there. You, he's, he knows what they've all been through. And he's like, yeah, well, we have a right to survive like any other subspecies or whatever he considers themselves, a class of being, which is what Kitsu's doing. She's just trying to make more like her so she can have, I don't know, have people like her that exist. It's very normal. You want your species to proliferate. And we see this in The Witcher with like the dryads. They have sort of, parasitic ways of breeding right like they have to steal human children to breed it's so quite a recurring theme that it pops up in so many places it's really uh clearly something sepkowski thinks about a lot is how our own society just grinds children up and and changes them into something else and not always something more right it's really powerful to think about how it all comes back to that and how even someone like tetra she's just with her hatred of the witchers, but she's not portrayed as even remotely good. She just happens to be right about someone else's evil, 
but she's also evil, right? It's just all these just very evil institutions that are colliding over the issue of survival. They can't survive without doing evil things. And then are all coming into conflict with each other. It often has to do with power as well, because that permeates, we see a a little bit with Stragobor, and we're going to learn a lot more of kind of their kind of inner workings and machinations of what kind of they want to do with Siri. And then we have the story of Siri, which is, I want to say the main plot of the show, like why she is being hunted and chased. She is very special for a reason. We're going to find a lot more uh, out about that. So this idea of acquiring children for power and using them, I mean, and look, and look at Tisea as well. She uses mm. Yennefer and Yennefer saves them at the Battle of Sodden. Without Yennefer, they're, they're toast. So there's yeah. all sorts of different kind of levels of this happening in each kind of POV in, in The Witcher. It is an interesting comparison to the mages because they are such a strong institutional power even i mean they're a stronger power than the witchers i think we can surmise (laughs) at this point in the story but there's no comparison in our modern day with Geralt. like it's witchers are barely have a society that they can cling to and they're just like a handful of them and i kept thinking of the jedi (laughs) actually (laughs) in that it is sort of a military or power military force that like when you watch the original Star Wars, it's like such a tragedy that like all these people were wiped out. And that fact of it remains a tragedy when you see the prequels. But there definitely is an idea that these people were too powerful and could and did swing the fate of, of a galaxy on, on their whim. And, and basically everyone was reliant on hoping that they had the right intentions. So I, I think it's interesting because part of what is so, I think, sad and, and melancholy about witcherness is that they are lonely and they are few and and very singular. But when we've seen at least a glimpse of what it can be like when they're not that singular and they are more institutionally powerful, like that's not a great thing either. So it, <laughs> yeah, it's, wow, yeah, yeah right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it really makes Darth you think. Well, look what happened yeah. with Anakin Skywalker, right? And we saw—I know a lot of people don't like the Last Jedi, but I particularly love the scene where Luke Skywalker is talking about this life force belongs to everyone, not just the Jedi. There is some sort of selfishness in that, you know what I mean? Mm. And we do see a sense of selfishness when it comes to this institution of the Witchers. That is something that is definitely on display in the Nightmare of the Wolf. Yeah, like Vesemir doesn't care about saving humanity from monsters; he cares about getting rich. And it's not like. He wasn't taught otherwise necessarily, but he wasn't taught some sort of nobility, like wherever Geralt got that, which may be from Vesemir, who learned the hard way. I mean, there's this quote from Deglin that's it's hard to disagree with him. I mean, I, you can disagree with his actions easily, but this take, the only thing keeping men from hunting us are the scarier beasts we keep away. I mean, that is very reflective of a lot of things Geralt has said and how something is changing and when the world doesn't need witchers they can just throw, cast them aside he's not needed anymore and that makes him an outcast and he can see that coming and because he's semi-immortal he can see himself living through it and it gives him this fatalism it'd be better if i died in the line of duty but it, even that is thankless and yeah it is it's pretty sad <laughs> yeah I, I think the movie really did nail was the bittersweetness because i think that can get lost sometimes and like the snarkiness and the the fights and all that but it certainly from the books and i think that the first season honored this as well like the real feeling of there is what that is worth holding on to but it's going to come at a very great cost and you're not going to be able to hold on to it forever and i think that was very well illustrated (laughs) 
I have another real world comparison I want to make here, which is the what happens when long, powerful institutions break down and the effect they have on society when they're no longer contained. For example, when the Soviet Union fell, there was a huge amount of military weaponry that was no longer accounted for. No longer, people weren't keeping track. The Nicolas Cage movie was based on the Lord of War guy. He's is rooted in a real person. And that a good example, Victor Blum, he just got a hold of a lot of this military equipment no one was keeping track of anymore and just started selling it to like terrorists and military groups that are pretty sketchy. And that's what you have here. You have witchers who are extremely powerful. They're given this immense power to do violence. They're told to use it against monsters. They're trained to use it against monsters, but they obviously could easily use it against people. The only thing stopping them is their personality, their own sense of justice or their own sense of maybe someone's going to kill me if I do that. But here you have Deglin talking about, well, this, this past year, 12 witchers quit to become, I don't know, bandits or mercenaries, he says. He's not clear on which, but the, some of both. So you have these really extremely well-trained killers who have, it's kind of the same thing. You've got these institutional weapons that are now just out there. They're not contained, they're not controlled by a state anymore. They're controlled by just rogue actors or individuals. That's a big problem. <laughs> we see so, a similar yeah. situation, what happened with Vesemir and Geralt, like Geralt in The Lesser Evil. We see kind of some conflict go down and people die. Like, you don't want to cross a Witcher, man. They're basically have superhuman strength. Like, they'll kill you. We do we do say, see the kind of judgment out there of, of some of those. It's not necessarily right it's not necessarily wrong but there are some winters who can be perceived i don't want to say evil but not as good and that's why some of these people want to start bar fights or kind of judge them in public and want to be more stoic about it and be like oh we don't need you in our society so there is the this kind of like double-edged sword with it like winters can be very helpful but they also be other uh, so powerful they, they can definitely <laughs> influence in a bad way we see greed with vesemir in his younger years yeah, and I felt actually that this really kind of clarified that for me, because one of the questions I had, both in the show and, and reading the books, is like, the amount and virulence of the real hatred that witchers face never kind of made a ton of sense to me, because I'm like, do you guys want to be swallowed by Leshy or not? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> like, you have them for a reason. It didn't really... It didn't really add up to me that people would hate their exterminators so much. But I think this definitely clarified it in that the witchers kind of were like a, a sword without a hilt. You kind of had to hope, as especially as like a peasant, that they swung in the right direction and did get the monster as opposed to getting you with the power that they had. And yeah, I appreciate that a lot, actually, about this. Well, and then so, we see, yeah. kind of see in the Caesar, season one of The Witcher, you know, the story gets flipped on its head a little bit. We see... The idea of witchers not getting involved in politics, having influence and power and help certain situations and, and not necessarily making a decision is actually worse than making a decision. You're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. That's a great segue to talk about how this connects to the lesser evil a bit. In that story, Geralt's like, no, I don't kill people. I won't kill people because for all I know, I've been tricked into it. I've been tricked into killing a person that doesn't deserve it. So I just won't do it at all unless they're coming at me. And obviously there's been exceptions, but that's his argument when Stregobor's like, no, she's not even really a person. She is a monster. <laughs> Look at her. She's it's black sun, blah, blah, blah. I can you show know. you the autopsies. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so I'm going to have uh, to get out my board of people who suck. <laughs> yeah, Stregobor, the people who <laughs> see he's right on there. <laughs> 
<laughs> and so like that story by Tetra where she says her yeah. mother was killed by a witcher who lied about she laid a curse on someone. It's like, well, that's the same thing, basically. So that's why Geralt's like, no, look, I will just I won't kill people. No one's ever going to trick me into killing someone that way if I just refuse. But then we see what you were talking about, Kyle, well, is standing being neutral isn't always the right play. Like when great evil's being done, maybe you should kill a few people, <laughs> the evil ones. Just don't get worked up over who's, don't get tricked into these edge cases where it's not clear. But like, sometimes it's quite clear who the bad guys are. You don't always have this gray area to be like, I don't know. This is why the story <laughs> of The Witcher is so amazing because there's this web of connection that hasn't been fully laid out for us yet. And we're going to see this over seasons. We obviously see Stregobor wanting Renfri and that's, a connection to people wanting Siri, and that's a connection to Geralt being indecisive and also making a decision to protect Renfrey. All of these things connect, and it's all this big cycle of things that have been going over and over and over again. The cycle of repetition that needs to essentially end, right? <laughs> yeah, well, I'd say it's an interesting thing about the way Sapkowski writes is there. He, he does a lot of interesting, quirky, maybe even wandering things with the narrative, but theme-wise, he keeps it pretty tight. As far as the main core themes, most everything you can relate to a handful of important themes that are kind of or sub themes of that, like the children stuff, the power themes, things we've talked about before. I don't need to go list them all, but you know what I mean. And Sapkowski is so good at that, keeping that type, threading those themes through all of the different characters and connecting mm -hmm. that through his mythology. It's just so amazing how he does that. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I like that idea about kind of talking about kids also because it really stuck out to me that we have Geralt at the at the end and like we have Ileana making this very deliberate play to save the baby witchers and mm -hmm. at, at exp the expense of her own life it turns out that's an unambiguously good thing right like we're mm -hmm. saving innocent children but the fact is, like, they're going to go through the trial of the grasses and they're going to go through the changes and not all of the, some of them are going to die anyway, probably more horribly than if a peasant had, like, hacked their head off. And we know that Geralt has some really great things in his life. And we also know that he is tormented <laughs> in a lot of different yeah. ways for his position and his ambiguity in the world. And some of that suffering is going to be visited on the kids by society and some of it's going to be visited on them, presumably by Vesemir. And mm -hmm. it, it is a really complicated, like, thought that Vesemir doesn't want to perpetuate the system in the exact way, but he does and will perpetuate the system more or less in the same way. I feel like the ending didn't really leave me knowing how to feel because I'm like, I'm not cheering for these little kids to become witchers. Like, I'm glad that they're cute and alive, but... I, I think that's important, though, Mikal, because that will be clarified when we do see vesemir and how he's going to talk about his past that's something that's so important to learning who vesemir is in the present i'm always rooting for Geralt because i believe he has a good heart you know what i mean i believe he's a genuinely good person and he wants to do well but there's definitely that dark history there that you have to think about well well should this even still be a thing anymore because that's like as bad as it gets you know mm -hmm. what I mean? This is like summoning evil into the world, essentially like devils, like Satan type shit. So and the same thing with Siri, right? Like she, yeah. I mean, on the one hand, it actually makes a lot of sense for her to be kind of the agent of, I don't know about change, but like definitely the a, a real shock to the Witcher system when this girl shows up. But I think also we do have that same kind of 
existential question with her, with the power she's vested with the things that have been done to create her as she mm-hmm. is and the choices that she has to make. It's a very complicated, uncomfortable thing. Like every time I think about this, the answer is there's no answer. How nice. <laughs> My favorite visuals, I think, were the in the montage when he's fighting the werewolf and they jump like over the town. And it's just like he's flying, they're kind of flying over the moon. That was so cool. I just like that because it's very much like I'm like you, McCall. I haven't I don't have a lot of experience watching anime. But one thing I recognize with anime is it's action over the top action is a thing for anime. That's just how it is, which is making an adult anime kind of makes sense to have all the gore, even if it's not everyone's favorite thing. It, it is at least on on theme yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) the other one i really liked was when vesemir's eyes change and they had like his eyes go yellow and it's like a sun and it goes over the the coin the witcher medallion that was super smooth that was really nice i appreciate that that's more memorable to me than the battle stuff you know that was cool too don't get me wrong but the artistry is is more memorable but the music is beautiful beautiful all around really the scenes (laughs) with vesemir when he was young and poking the fox and it's like it was just really beautiful uh, altogether. For those of you who really enjoy the Nightmare of the Wolf, I also see people talking about Castlevania. If you know the the original Nintendo game, Belmont vampires, werewolves, all that. Highly recommend that. I was like pretty shocked at the beginning. I was like, they're really okay. This is oh, how there are kids being speared. Okay, yeah, all right. It was so sudden too because that opening song was beautiful. Yeah. That the music, it was in like that unusual that voice. That's uh, Luke Youngblood was the singer there. Uh, he, mm. if you've seen Community, he was Magnitude. <laughs> That's a quite a obscure connection. Is Galavan? Oh, he's so good. Brian, you guys Oliveira was the uh, the composer. Galavan. Okay, we'll have to take that recommendation. Everybody, pay attention to Mikal. <laughs> it's a very nice light viewing. So <laughs> nice. Mm-hmm. Vesemir himself was Theo James. He was in the Underworld films, Divergent series, other stuff. Oh, so I can't you, you believe know him it was already. him. I yeah, was like, so cool, oh right? my god, it's the guy yeah. from Downton Abbey and and Divergent who like, was <laughs> cool, supposed huh? to have like this big career. He did a great cause... job, an amazing job. Oh, he was yeah. great. He was actually really. He sounded hot. And he looked hot. So. <laughs> Speaking of looking hot, they had to do a bath scene just like they do with Henry Cavill. I, I was totally on perp. They're like, we're going to do that again. <laughs> Every so Witcher from gets the Witcher a bath. Games, right? The Witcher, the, Witcher, the Witcher game meme, like you should see the amount. Like, there's whole Reddits <laughs> devoted to this bath. Wow. <laughs> so young Vesemir, as well as the voice of young Remus, was David Arago Jr., who is from Phineas and Ferb. How about that? And, and Remus is, is kind of sad because Remus is one of the four that survives at the end. Remus is also the one that's killed in episode three, the same one this guy wrote by the Strega, the one that Geralt says, you didn't tell anyone it bested a witcher. But he, when he gets mad about that when they're concealing that, because that's Remus. That's that one of those four kids. <laughs> Whoops. And remember, Geralt grabs Remus's medallion in that scene. We have Daglan Graham McTavish, Mr. Superstar. Mr. Um, cornering the fantasy market like nobody's business. He's an oh outlander. He's fantastic in that. Okay, so yeah, let's just give him a quick rundown. Like, he's in everything, right? Okay, so this double time, because he's going to be Dykstra. <laughs> he was dwelling in The Hobbit. You guys just brought up Castlevania. He was in that. He was Dracula, so not exactly a small role. You guys just said Outlander. And he's going to be in House of the Dragon. Like, what the? 
Harold Wasserling. It's gonna be Jeez. huge. Man, like wow. He's got the voice. He's got he's there's a reason he's blowing up. Him as Dykstra's he's a perfect casting. <laughs> so Ileana Zerbst was Mary McDonald, who was in Dances with Wolves. She was perhaps most famous as Laura Roslin in Battlestar Galactica, president of humanity. Laura Pulver was Tetra Gilchrist. She also was in the Underworlds stuff, and she was in the Game of Thrones Telltale games as Lady Alyssa Forrester. She seemed to have done a great job. I thought she, her voice was excellent and strong and had a lot of sort of contained rage to it, which was appropriate. She, she was that, one of the MVPs. Very... She did one of the best jobs, for sure. Yeah. yeah. There's that disdain that I think a lot of the mages have that yes, she yes, really nailed. Like... Yes, I descend from the the first mages of the first mages ever, which is that only sounds a little bit haughty. (laughs) (laughs) But also interesting that she brings up that her mother was a sorceress. So we have a second exception. Uh, It's rare, but clearly not unheard of because Geralt's own mother is another exception of a sorceress having children. So that is unusual, but noteworthy. Yes. Let's talk about Kitsu for a minute, because she's kind of an interesting character, obviously very tragic. She survives, which is interesting. You kind of wonder if there's ever going to be any follow-up on her. They have that open. If they want to do more with her, they could. The name origin is cool because it's, it comes from Kitsune, which is a fox. And it's, what's its name? Bodimeo was specifically cited, this, the, the Aguara, in A Season of Storms for the inspiration for Kitsune, or for Kitsu, Kitsune, so... That's pretty cool. That's we've seen foxes before. We had that extended bit about they're very prevalent in anime Ray, too. Yeah, like Ray, Japanese was it, and uh, Asian culture. Yeah, was it Raymond the fox we talked about before? Oh, yeah. Reynard. Yeah, I'm like Raymond. That's not right. Yeah, Reynard the fox. Yeah, so it just keeps. Uh, it's another kind of recurring important symbolic animal here for fairy tales and a lot of myth myth cycles. So that's pretty cool. Very yeah, dark. Yeah. Sad, but interesting, well fleshed out and, and set up. And mythology often uh, possess magical abilities, which we see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was interesting the way she was animated, like in her elf form, she was just kind of gross. When she was a fox, she had a lot of dignity, I felt like. There was yeah. a lot of like, mystery to her. And, and I thought that was a really interesting like reflection of maybe what she had been before or something. Yeah, that's a very good, that's a good point. I have only one thing for the herb lore today, but it's, uh, <laughs> I'm so glad it's you found fun. one. <laughs> I did. I was like, well, hopefully blue gum is re- is a real thing because that was the only one. And it is. It's a type of eucalyptus and the oil it produces is used IRL for as a biopesticide and antimicrobial, which is that's kind of on point. Right. It was trying to they're trying to expunge a evil spirit with it. So. That's kind of cool. <laughs> eucalyptus. Go eucalyptus. It's native to Southern Australia, but it's been, it grows elsewhere. People have planted it all over the world. So I use eucalyptus cool. in my sauna. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. I'd made the joke nightmare of the wolf at the beginning. And well, the phrase mar does originate from the term mar. M-A-R-E, which is where the term nightmare comes from. It's an ancient term in folklore, Old Dutch or Proto-Slavic or High German or Old Norse and Swedish. There's various forms like Mar or Mara, things like that. The origin of the word isn't clear because it's super, super old. The mare was believed to ride horses, so it all fits. Mare, Mara. Yeah, it's pretty neat. So there you go. Once again, the Witcher lore is absolutely worth digging into. because It doesn't get, in, uh, in cool Mara in Hebrew mean bitter? If I'm not mistaken, it does. It oh, does. nice. That would cool. be, yeah, M R or M A R would be mm. bitter. Mm. Yeah. So, unsettling, unsettled spirit, something that's, I don't know, that's kind of the vibe that I got nightmare, yeah. unsettling spirit. Yeah. 
there's a, a common name or not common, but a name Zamora, either Z-M-O-R-A or Zamora. That's like it's, for example, there's a baseball player named Daniel Zamora, and that is Polish for demon slash goddess of winter, <laughs> according to <laughs> Wikipedia. It's kind of cool. Speaking of the Polish influence, I uh, the music I thought was, a spe- I mean, obviously I'm not in any way an expert, but particularly like the battle music. It, it evoked that kind of Slavic feel to me, and I thought it was really yeah. unique and, and really great. The the I music and the too. the soundtrack in The Witcher Three is particular. It's like one of the best soundtracks for a game ever. And the, I, I'm not sure if they use the same composers, but it reminded mm-hmm. me. It, I felt like I was in The Witcher Three again, playing the game. I was like, nice. Oh my god! When you walk into a town, each town kind of has its own song, and it felt like I was walking into those towns again. I was like, Oh my god, this feels so great and comfortable. I know the same <laughs> kind of like dark, flowy tunes. I love that. It's neat that the mare is attested, according to Wikipedia, as early as the 13th century in the Yinglinga saga from the Norse. So that's cool. So that's that's pretty neat. It goes back a long way. I love stuff like that where they don't actually know how far back it goes because dreams, nightmares, things like that are older than writing. That humans have been having nightmares since before we were writing things down. So, yeah, (laughs) the concept had to exist before. So that's really cool. It gives it that real sense of ancient to it and, and something that we have in common with ancient humankind as well. So the other creature that's important here is the Leshen, the Leshy. Sometimes it's called a Spriggan. It's cool. In Russian, it literally translates as from the forest. (laughs) All right, there you go. There's another translation, though, that is objectionable to anyone who's read the full series because one of the translations of Leshen is forest grandfather. Ooh, remember Forrest Gramps? Uh, Unfortunately, yeah. yes. Yes. Yeah, so let's not talk about Forrest Gramps. So there's also the other translations are like similar, like Forest Uncle, Forest Master, Forest Man, Forest Spirit, Righteous One of the Forest, Honorable One of the Forest, etc. They're like a guardian spirit. So each lesson protects a particular forest. They live in it and protect it. So it's got, kind of got that dryad feel to it, but more masculine, whereas dryads are very feminine, obviously, sometimes portrayed as married to Kikimura. So there's the Kikimura coming back again. And also Leshen are associated in myth with the abduction of children. But here's the one that's really that really gets me is they're also associated with families giving unwanted children away to Leshen. Ooh. So that's super on theme, giving away to the forest. <laughs> yeah, giving giving away kids to the witchers or giving away kids to experiment on them, the elven children whatever. It's like, whoa, that's really fits too well (laughs) they are sometimes friendly to people who show respect to the forest but of course this lesson wasn't wasn't a typical lesson that's talked about a lot like the name comes up a bunch of times in the books but i don't think we ever see one right unless i'm remembering wrong they're definitely in like the rpg because of course it's a cool monster to have for and they're incredibly hard to kill it's insane what i mean how about uh tetra's and and vesemir's quick brief comments on fire magic and how it's banned and tetra's like well those people don't know what they're doing <laughs> you know that's why you don't use fire magic because they're all idiots but i know how to use fire magic <laughs> that i felt was like a very strong plant for later for later yeah. yeah maybe we'll just call it that just later we'll igni hold also off on uh, being a type of magic that the witchers use there's ard igni yeah uh, so all of that kind of maybe we'll see some more of that yep yep Fun moment that baby bald-headed Geralt was voiced by <laughs> Lauren Hisrich's son, Harry. That was little Harry Hisrich. That's cool. 
The king of Cadwin is Calanthe's great-grandfather, so Ciri's great-great-grandfather, so that's kind of neat. And uh, Sabrina... <laughs> yeah, not a great king. You're, you, I liked your note on him. Like, just like another terrible leader <laughs> on display here. <laughs> yeah, there are certain things that are eternal in the Witcher universe and, and bad leaders who let people rule for them because it's more convenient and just enjoy the aesthetic pleasures of their rule. Is Yeah, I mean, I even thought he was drawn like almost more cartoonish than everybody else. It was not a flattering portrayal. <laughs> There's really no, I mean, it communicates so much when you're the king. And you're sitting there looking at a mirror at court, like you're staring at yourself while everyone <laughs> like, yeah. that's that communicates an awful lot about your attitude. Yes, I'm only concerned with my look while everyone's looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already the center of attention, but I'm just going to groom myself. Sabrina Glesevig is from Ard Carre, small, min very small Easter egg there, so. She might have been alive already by this point, but in the show, probably not, because in the show, she's portrayed as the same age as Yennefer. So this would have been this would have been pretty close in the timeline. I guess this would have happened pretty soon before that. Then we have the great quote. It is not a question of price. <laughs> yeah, that was great. That one stood out. Really stood out, right? Especially if you have the subtitles on. It's just printed right there in front of you like, oh, there it is. <laughs> so, yeah, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Declan ends with make them something more. It really ties beautifully into the concept of that as being something that children completing you and having that responsibility to raise them in a better way than you were raised. Those particular made me feel things. Yeah. And mostly was... Declan just made me feel angry. So <laughs> Yeah, it, it's good. Like it, it is a very good use of even bad guys can have good moments. And yeah, that was a really good like he died well. He died very well. And yeah, that was a real, that was a great line. Because especially because it's that line. It's something more. It's not just any of the titles. Like with Question of Price, that was kind of clever, right? That was like, ah. But this one was like, ooh, that hits hard. Because something more is the last short story. It's the one that we, the last one we podcasted on as far as the short stories. And we kind of universally agreed it was maybe the most powerful, maybe at least not, if not the most on theme for the rest of the series. When a series mm -hmm. says, am I your destiny girl? He says, you're much more than that. You're something more than that. To say that you're my destiny. No, you have your own life. You're more meaningful than just a possession to me. And that makes me feel really good that if you want to call this a side project, I, it's part of the canon, it's a main thing, but you can call it a side project from the main show if you want. You can call it a side project from the books if you want to. But the point, my point with that, saying it, framing it that way is, to, is that this was made by someone else right well yeah Bo DeMeo wrote one of the episodes for the show but it's a it's a someone else is creating it and writing it but they clearly took effort to keep these core values part of it like something more and these other like important themes that we keep coming back to so that, that's really important when you have a fandom or a world that's being expanded on a lot you have it being taken in a lot of directions so many productions animated films prequels you risk losing some of that core feel projects like star wars keep some of that feel by just having keeping that aesthetic which is better than nothing and you know i'm not complaining about star wars i'm just saying there's various ways to do that and so far the expansion of the witcherverse is going well in terms of keeping that core so uh, i hope that continues and just to highlight again bo DeMeo, the episodes he helped co-produce the ends beginning and much more which are the two short stories we we're kind of talking about the most here i think and as far as influence goes Sounds like they may, uh, he may have established himself as someone who really gets it more than most, you know? <laughs> I think so. 
I had one funny line I picked out that I thought was really good. It's just right from the beginning. There's a lot of snarky lines, but this one was <laughs> particularly stood out. It's like setting Vesemir up. Uh, forest hobo or deadly flapping swarm? Let's pick a look and go with it. Deadly flapping swarm it is. <laughs> 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 and there was a lot of great like well-placed sarcasm and I, I i thought theo james did a really good job with vesemir just his tone with everything his snarkiness his overconfidence was just absolutely fantastic yeah yeah same production wise it was just very strong all around you're right yeah <laughs> i did feel that i mean i'm totally assuming here but i felt like everyone was definitely recording in their closets like, I, I don't know oh, that, yeah. like some of the performances i thought were like a strong baseline but there were parts of it that i was like i feel like i could hear something banging against the mic or whatever <laughs> but what are you gonna do in COVID? it's obviously a very difficult thing to a small clip I, I had the same good adaptation yeah yeah exactly i mean i had the same issue with what if where it just seemed very clear to me that everybody was recording kind of in an isolation and not really acting off each other but again yeah what are you going to do it's a pandemic yeah. We're getting another one of these animated movies next year, I believe. Yeah. And, and Diego mentioned an awesome character in chat who I think would be perfect for it. Regis. Who's that? I think Regis would be a great character. Ooh, yes. That would be amazing. Back story for an animated movie. Yeah, we don't know anything about the plans for this other thing, do we? The second mm -hmm. Studio Mirror production. I couldn't find anything on it, but I, I don't, didn't assume that. I have a feeling that we're going to be getting one of these before each season. I'm just telling you if they're going to be doing Witcher Blood Origin, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, uh, I had some issues with Nightmare of the Wolf, but overall, I really enjoyed it. I watched like three or four times. I watched it by myself. I watched it with my cousin who hadn't seen it, and he had a great time. Him and his wife really liked it, and they're just show watchers. They don't read the books, and they thought it was cool. They were, like, excited to learn about a character that they're like, oh, Vesemir, that's Geralt's mentor, right? And they're like excited to learn about a character that they had not known about. So I thought that from my perspective, obviously, like you guys, I think I don't want to call us experts, but, you know, I think we're quite devoted to talking about and reading The Witcher. We've all done our rereads and re-listens and we're deeply involved in our love for The Witcher. But it's so cool to kind of hear that for people that are just getting into the books and just kind of starting to devour the content of Dark story, bright future. <laughs> I guess I'll do my like two second feminism corner. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> you have some great notes there. So, you know, tap out if you're not interested. I kind of have mixed feelings. I, I felt like the two central female characters, not counting Kitsu, I guess, were obviously Tetra and Ilyana. And like, I thought they were really strong characters and they felt fully formed and I knew what they wanted and why they wanted it but I can't kind of get over the fact that both of them are really only there because they're connected with Vesemir they also both die because of Vesemir <laughs> pretty directly yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah it was something of a with a lot of the if you've been listening to our short story coverage like a lot of it has been kind of a mixed bag in terms of the way I feel about the female characters. And I kind of felt like this was slightly disappointingly of a piece with that, but certainly not like a, ah, I hate this, blah, 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 smash, axe, whatever. It's just something that I, I thought played in a in an interesting way. And I hope that they continue moving forward from here. I think if I could add to that, one function of the story that it tried to do, and I refer to it as very tight early on, I think that was, maybe it was, too tight in some ways like it was too 
self-contained and that's maybe part of what you're talking about the characters like revolving around vesemir maybe a little too much so maybe that's part of an extension of that yeah the the small cast like the fact that phil evangel was included he was great but he sort of felt bolted on you know what i mean mm -hmm. like he didn't necessarily it was a, maybe a little bit of a reach that he was included I didn't yeah, it's mind. a little bit like in Star Wars when you have a whole galaxy and you keep meeting the same people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is very, yeah, you're right. It does have that kind of feel where it's, it's that law of conservation of characters kind of thing where they don't, they want to keep it simple. And a good way to do that is to re use characters we already know. And yeah, it produces mixed results. I don't criticize it too much, but we can acknowledge it. I, I definitely felt like his lines were important, though. There's probably some setup there that we're not fully aware of. For TV adaptations, there's going to be some characters that are going to get a little bit more to say. But all in all, I think that I give it two thumbs up, Nightmare of the Wolf. I enjoyed it. What about you guys? Yeah. Two yeah, thumbs I up? A, I give it two thumbs up, yeah. Nice. Yep, enjoyed I'm it very looking much. Forward I'm trying to, what to think of a more, what, what's a more witchery thing to give it than thumbs. <laughs> two eyeballs two, dangling from sockets. Two, yeah. <laughs> two, two fried flying fish. Yeah, two... <laughs> There's yeah, so many dude. eyeballs, guys. So many eyeballs. <laughs> there were a lot of eyeballs. And then, and then at the end, the the dwarf witcher, the short person witcher, who was such a badass. And then, like you see, not only is he does he have an eyeball hanging out, but he also has a sand on a, a, just his spine. And I was like, you know what? I'm yeah, that was, <laughs> damn. <laughs> yeah, that was bloody. <laughs> We hope that you enjoyed this episode with us today. Join our Facebook group, The Podcast of Surprise. We have cool discussions going on there. Great community of people. The Podcast of Surprise on Facebook. Thank you all for joining here. We really appreciate it. Podcast of Surprise, anchor.fm, or you can catch us on YouTube. Thanks again, everyone. We shall see you in the next episode.